Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The last time, and I'm sure you've come across the stories over the last couple of weeks, the last time... Maybe the only time, really, the only time prior to now that a nuclear war was brought forward by a national leader as a possible a national leader who actually has nuclear weapons, in this case at his disposal, the last time was 1962. And it had to do with uh, the Soviet Union under Nikita Khrushchev placing medium-range missiles into Cuba, missiles that could easily reached the United States, and the Kennedy administration said, not going to happen. Get them out of there. Meanwhile, the Russians kept bringing more and more ships from the Soviet Union into Cuba to service those missiles and get them ready, and the Americans um, laid down, literally laid down the law, and said, turn them around, get them out of here, or else. And Khrushchev initially wasn't having any of that, so these two superpowers, both the nuclear weapons, got closer and closer to each other, um, and conflagration seemed possible. I was in my, I think I was in my first first year of high school, and they were telling us what to do in case there was a nuclear war. It wasn't a case of, uh, you know, jump onto the desk. They told us that when we were five years old. But it was more, you know, try to find a part of the building that is supported words to that effect and eventually as you know the soviets backed down and took their missiles out turned the ships around and kennedy won the day so while all of this was going on my next guest was very much privy to the situation george cortez is my guest he's uh, an architect and he was fidel castro's interpreter during those years George, thank you very much uh, for joining us. How are you? I'm fine, Roy, and uh, thank you so much for having me in your program. Well, it's a it's it's a pleasure to speak with you. And when I'm talking about this particular situation, and I'm just talking about it from the perspective of somebody who's read about it and was peripherally there as a kid when it was taking place, when you hear it brought up, what are the memories you have? What what what's the first thing you think about? Well, Roy, <laughs> this is a topic so big that we could be talking until Christmas, but I know we have time limitations. Uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis was the end result of a sequence of uh, events of international impact that started in 1959. Um, um, do you mind if I say, what led to the, to the missile crisis in Cuba? Sure. Um, uh, before, before 1959 and the revolution, I was a university student uh, school of Architecture aligned and, and deeply involved in the Directorial Revolutionario, which was one of the two factions controlling the riots and all the problems, uh, trying to overthrow the Batista regime, had to go. So that is before. During the 59 takeover uh, by Castro and, and the forces, uh, um, 
I had the opportunity to meet Fidel Castro personally in 1959 when um, the world wanted to know who these guys were. There were indications that they were leftist people, but nobody really knew exactly who they were. And uh, they were invited to the United States two months after they came from the mountains. And Batista took off, got out of the country. Uh, this, the army surrendered to these guys. Batista had tanks and chests and everything, and they surrendered to these guys because the whole nation was with the, with the Castro troops. Um, uh, what happened is that uh, they had a, an indication uh, internationally of their leftist tendencies, but they needed to know a little bit more. So they invited them to the United States, and uh, they caught them off guard because uh, they were not prepared for two months after the takeover in the country. You know, the, the bearded guys, los barbudos, as they call them. Two months after they take over the country, they are invited to the United States. How I got involved in this is another long story. I spoke English perfectly. I was aligned to the movement, and they had to select quick people to go. And I was there. <laughs> I've seen the photograph. I've seen the photograph you sent that moment. to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, what was happening there, Castro was extremely upset uh, because uh, Eisenhower didn't greet him. He sent Nixon to greet him. And he thought that I was an insult to them. Maybe it was true. But it was quite interesting, uh, the, the activities of those days. Um, Castro was a, a very charismatic guy, tall, big, strong, uh, capable of uh, changing people's minds in two seconds. He had the ability to do that. Many say Hitler did too. <laughs> but, but anyway, um, um, that incident was uh, uh, an event in the United States with no major uh, implication other than uh, 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 Castro in the picture you have there. Castro uh, didn't realize where he was, and he started blasting the United States without realizing that he was in the United States. <laughs> it was humorous. That's what you so, see so I'm, I'm, I'm guessing face. you didn't translate that. No, no, it was, it was it's even better. You see in the picture, I have a grin in my face for what yeah. he said. Know. He said, one day I'm going to destroy this F country. He said that, and he didn't realize he was in the same. This is in the U.S. <laughs> so, so, this so guy behind Nixon. him, one commander from the, <laughs> from the mountains, uh, pulled him back and said, shut up, we are not in Havana, shut up. <laughs> Fidel asked me, you didn't translate that? So I gave him a military salute, and I said, no, I didn't. <laughs> that was a humorous part of that. So, George, as this developed, we've seen the movies, we've heard the, seen the documentaries, we've heard the discussions, read the information. What was going on behind the scenes on the Cuban side of things as the Americans said, turn those ships around, get the missiles out of Cuba, or we're going to go to war? What was going on? In, in, in Castro's world as you were watching and interpreting for him? Well, um, um, in, uh, interpreting for him was more in the United States on that trip that I mentioned to you, because during the missile crisis, no one could get near those guys. They were immersed in the military operation where it was upon them. Uh, the missile crisis were three events that led to the missile crisis. The explosion of a cargo ship in Havana in 1960, that they, Castro attributed that to the Americans, and there was new. Second one, the Bay of Pigs, a big mistake from the United States and Kennedy that was uh, 
incompetent in handling that operation. And that those things led to the missile crisis when missiles uh, were discovered by the U-2 uh, planes. Uh, the whole nation was in a state of alert. And uh, it, it was uh, was not a long crisis. It was uh, maybe less than a month. And uh, uh, my personal opinion, I haven't read about this, but is that the Soviet Union used Fidel Castro big time. Young, charismatic guy, uh, volatile, with a <laughs> big mouth. And they saw the opportunity to have a base in the backyard of the United States because the Soviet, uh, the United States had installed nuclear weapons in Turkey and Italy at the same time. So they saw this as a great opportunity to do that. Going back to the crisis itself, everybody was mobilizing the nation. Uh, fly, jets flying over everybody's head, uh, shooting every morning. Uh, and, and, uh, and you know what happened? Uh, they uh, were so close. Can I say you another opinion here, right? Sure. Kennedy, in my personal opinion, maybe will be in disagreement with me, was a victim of a conspiracy from his own forces who did not forgive, did not forgive him for being hesitant in something so critical for the survival of the United States. Okay, he can I can I, can I just that, George? And they never forgave him for that. Can I just take you back in inside Cuba, nineteen sixty-two? And George and uh, and John Kennedy and Bobby Kennedy and uh, their administration were very f- firm with with Khrushchev, but it it took it took a time and there was and there was some negotiation at arm's length. There was attempts anyway. So did you did you have any any contact at all with Castro at that particular time, or was he just Roy, unavailable nobody, to you? Nobody had contact with Castro in those days. He was immersed in the military activity, and everybody was in military bases. I was in one of them, uh, 60 kilo, 60, 65 miles west of Havana, uh, where some of the nuclear boys were installed. And, uh, and uh, it was uh, uh, terrible moments of, of uh, wait and what happened, what's going to happen here. Uh, now, you, I'm sorry, George, but you've gotten to know Castro. Yes, I got to know him because I very well. You interpreted for him. Did you have a sense? Did you feel like it was going to happen? Did you was your sense there's going to be a nuclear war here? Everybody thought it was going to be a nuclear war. Nobody thought for a minute that it was not going to happen because it was so uh, critical. And uh, although military bases and the military knew didn't know exactly what was happening on the other side, they knew what was happening. But everybody thought it was going to be the end of it. And uh, and that that gave <clears throat> that gave him the opportunity to say that uh, he declared to the world, "I am and quote, I am a Marxist Leninist until the end of my life." That was declared in those days as well so, uh, during the Bayopic and Missile Crisis. But inside, basically, the military activity was brutal. A continuous okay. military movement uh, uh, and horrible things that happened. What else can I tell you? Because fortunately, it didn't happen. Yeah. But now the Russians, George, the Russians would have been in charge, though, right? Castro the were in charge. The Russians the were the bases, bosses. The bases where I was, uh, Roy, you, you you could go inside the base, and there were uh, troops in green olive fatigue uniform, but they were blonde, blue eyes, and with an accent worse than mine. <laughs> 
those were not Cubans. They were in charge, absolutely in charge. Did you see Castro again after this missile crisis was over? Many times. I had this picture that I gave you that was given to me by the New York Times. I have a few copies, and I always have had it in my pocket in case I had a problem with somebody. Right. Uh, yeah, I saw him uh, probably many, many times because, Roy, when everything was over, everybody returned back to their normal life, went back to universities. I finished my career as an architect, and I became uh, a prominent architect with the government uh, in charge of uh, uh, several uh, national priority projects near the Sierra Maestra where the war was. And, I was, and he used to fly in in helicopters. And I always had my picture with him, and he remembered me very well. We talked extensively. That's better than a, better than a driver's license. Uh, did he ever, did he, George, did he talk to you about about that October 1962 ever later? Did he ever bring it up in conversation? No, he never talked about that again. Because First of all, Roy, please understand that he was extremely upset with the results of uh, the end of the crisis for one simple reason, that it was negotiated directly between Khrushchev and Kennedy without his participation. He was so pissed off, and he had a reason for that. Everything was behind his back. And, and he said that publicly to the nation. We have been betrayed by the Soviet Union. He said that to the nation. So let me ask you this. We have about... We have about two minutes, two and a half minutes left. I knew the time was going to go by very quickly, George, and we talked about that. What was life like um, for the average Cuban going forward after after 1962 with Castro and the regime in charge, the dictatorship in charge under communism? What was life like? Well, in all reality, uh, uh, it was a miserable life. Communism hasn't been successful anywhere in the world. But but when, when somebody's saying, like Castro, our revolution is green like the palm trees, and the opponents in the world call it that the watermelon is green outside and red inside. But it was a, a miserable country because communism, Roy, is nothing but a, a utopia. There's nothing. Everything, an imagined state of things in which everything is perfect. That doesn't work. The philosophers, Mark Engels and Lenin and those guys, guys that never had a job in their lives, became the philosopher trying to solve the problems of the world. However, I think we have little, very little time. Life is miserable. Communism is a police state where terror is the force that keeps power, and power corrupts, and we all know. Uh, yeah. They created comités of the sense of the revolution in every corner of the city, in the entire country, to spy on the neighbors, to call the security forces. Um, they have those everywhere. Um, and, and, you know, you, are, you're, you don't talk to anybody for fear. Fear is in the air. And that's why they maintain power in any communist country. Fear, terror. And that's why they stay in power. Yeah. In the I, utopia created like that. I have absolutely but you know, so I, one, last, one last thing in, in the minute that I have. Communism was not created by Marx, Engels, uh, Lenin. No, no. Those philosophers that never had jobs did not create. They wrote about it. We created communism ourselves in the capitalistic society. We are the creators of that with one simple, simple word, greed. We have created all this turmoil in the world. If you want to hear more, 
Subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.